Welcome to today's edition of Disability Inc. I'm Jean Mizutani, here with Chris Treber from the Interagency Council of Developmental Disabilities Agencies, known as IAC. Welcome, Chris, and thank you for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. IAC is the largest provider association in New York for nonprofit agencies that support individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities with over 150 member agencies that serve over 17,500 children from birth to age 21, including 45 preschool special education providers. Today's conversation is about preschool children with disabilities and how they receive special education services in New York City. We're very happy to have this conversation with Chris because the role that private agencies play in serving New York City preschoolers is not well understood. And it's important that we understand the impact that the expansion of general education pre-K has on private special education preschools. So let's talk preschool. How many three and four-year-olds receive special education services? So according to the Fund for Public Schools, the 2018 report does approximately 31,000 children. That's a lot of children. Yes. Um, what kind of services do they receive? Um, they receive services really depending on what is recommended on their individualized education plan. So it could be from less restrictive, meaning they could be in a regular pre-K for all program and get mm -hmm. speech therapy, for example. They could be getting additional teacher support in a regular early childhood setting, or they could need a specialized setting, a special small class, um, and there's different sizes of classes depending on what the individual needs of the children are. But the law entitles them to the least restrictive environment, whatever that might be. So closest to home in the most normalized setting they can in order for them to make progress and learn. Right. Where do they typically attend school? You said as close to home as possible. Um, the 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 law requires under least restrictive environment that children be educated in the, in the school closest to their home or the one they would normally attend. So for preschool special ed, it's a challenge sometimes if a child needs a special setting because the public schools don't always have those programs available. More likely if they needed a pre-K for all program, they might have an opportunity to be placed in an elementary school closer to their home or a community-based program. But preschool special education, because it's a small um, class model isn't available, you know, in every single location. So children might have to travel to get to some of those settings. Right. So typically, the more significant the disability is, the further the distance, the more likely that they'd be in a special ed um, program that was private. Yes, it's very likely that um, that it would be a private um, preschool special education provider authorized, approved by the New York State Education Department to provide services, and all of them are under contract by the New York City Department of Ed. Because the New York City Department of Education basically is determined, they don't have a, an appropriate placement for those children. Mm -hmm. So we're using the word private, but actually they're publicly funded and placed through the Department of Education. Absolutely, yeah. These are publicly funded children placed there after the New York City Department of Education conducts an evaluation, has an IEP meeting, and makes a educational determination that the New York City Department of Ed does not have a free and appropriate public education for those kids. And that's when they look to what would be considered private providers under education law to provide those services. But right. again, they're public they're publicly funded programs. I think many people don't realize how prevalent the private programs are for preschool because once they're in elementary school, it's not that way. Yes, no. The majority of services right now are being provided predominantly by private um, private nonprofit and for profit preschool special education providers. Um, New York City, just to give you an idea, through District seventy five 
probably serves about 350 preschool special ed kids. So you're looking at thousands of children being served by the private provider community. Wow. So if a preschooler um, required a special class, full-time special class, chances are they'd be in a private program. More than likely, yes. More than likely. Wow. Um, describe the type of preschooler that attends those private programs. Um, for the most part, you know, when, when an IEP team makes a determination about what kind of service a child needs, they look at what, what kind of support services they need. So for a child who has a more significant disability, who needs more adults in the class, um, and it needs a, a sort of a smaller number of children to learn with them, usually those are the kind of classes. So you have children who are, have autism spectrum disorder. You have children who are diagnosed with multiple disabilities, cerebral palsy and other kinds of um, disabilities, a lot of children with intellectual disabilities. Um, in pre-K for all, you'll find children who have sort of minor learning problems, some kind of, um, you know, problems that sort of can be worked on in a more educational setting that's a regular education setting versus a special setting where it's a much more intense environment. Usually you have occupational therapy, physical therapy, speech therapy built into it. Um, a lot of kids are medically fragile in these settings. Children need non-ambulatory um, buildings. So that's why a lot of these kids end up in the private settings of public schools aren't even accessible for a lot of these kids. Right, so I'm aware of another program called Special Class in an Integrated Setting. Yes. Where are those usually found? Um, those could be in both. Um, the private providers do offer a number of, um, it called SCIS, Special Class mm -hmm. Integrated Setting, which is a regular class environment that has a certain number of children who have IEPs and a certain number of children who don't have IEPs. Um, and it's usually taught for the most part by a duly certified um, special education teacher who's also certified in early childhood, um, or you could have two teachers. You could have a special education certification te certified teacher mm -hmm. and a regular education teacher in there. So those programs are found both in public and private settings? Yes. New York City Department of Ed operates a number of them within the pre-K for all programs. That's mm -hmm. where you find them in the public okay. schools. So here in New York City, we have a specialized edu education district known as District 75. Um, it is designated for the kids that have the most significant needs. Does the public pre-K system offer special class programs that are equivalent to those run by privately operated programs? Yes, they do. Um, they don't offer it anywhere near in the scale. Um, you know, like I, saw, I said, it's, it's sort of about 350 kids right now that go to small classes mm -hmm. within District 75. Um, but the bulk of the kids are certainly served by the private providers. So there is a public school option, but it's not anywhere near, the, you know, in terms of the scale of what you would find in a, in a private, private program. Mm -hmm. What prevents the Department of Ed from expanding those programs? Um, I, I think there's a number of challenges. I think, I think certainly um, traditionally they have not. They've always depended on the private providers to provide these services. Um, I think they recognize the private providers have um, the expertise. They've been doing it for many, many years. I think the funding is a challenge. Um, I was part of the Early Childhood Blue Ribbon Regents um, Committee this year, and I heard from a number of school districts around the state, um, Syracuse, Rochester, where the heads of special ed for those programs said they closed, or they were going to close their preschool special ed programs because the funding was so little that they couldn't operate the program. So for New York City, I think it's a funding challenge. Um, I think it's also an accessibility challenge. Um, you know, so many of the schools are not accessible. Um, and so a lot of the children who go to these programs are medically fragile. They need um, programs where they be able to get into an accessible building. So that's a challenge. Um, and I also do think that, like I said, the expertise right now in terms of this field has pretty much been in the private provider community. 
Right, so it's, um, it's funding. It's also space in terms of competition for space, charter schools, co-located District 75 schools. Yes, yes. Even when you look at how they, when they expanded the pre-K program itself, it was a significant challenge for them to find locations. And they depended very heavily on the community-based organizations initially to take a lot of the kids because they just didn't have the physical space for it. Yeah, spaces. I don't know how we're going to solve that problem here in New York City. That's a huge yeah. problem. Yep, absolutely. Wow. Um, I think many people are surprised that so many preschoolers attend private programs. How did that start? What is the background there? Um, well, when the, when the federal law um, you know, authorized, it, it was originally actually part of what was family court at the time. It then became part of the federal law, and New York State decided to um, turn the program over to the Department of Education. The Committee on Preschool Special Ed took over responsibility. Um, and then, for the most part, again, they contracted with private providers to provide these services um, at a time, um, you know, you, you know, for, for many years, the Department of Education couldn't even meet the needs of the 5 to 21-year-old kids. Right. They still really haven't, based on the special ed reports that they produce every year. They're not providing the kids with all the services they need. So for them to take on uh, the, the preschool um, you know, mandate would be incredibly difficult for them, I think, at this point. Um, given the volume, the numbers of kids, the complexity of their needs, um, a lot of challenges. You can't put all these kids into um, regular education or pre-K for all. Some of these kids need these small settings to be able to learn. Um, they wouldn't be able to, to learn, they wouldn't be able to really be appropriately educated in a pre-K for all program. Well, it's surprising to me to learn that this has been going on for 25 years and that this was a decision and that the state and city rely on private programs. Yes, very much so, very much so. Wow. So what is the biggest concern with the private programs? Well, at this point, I mean, you know, IAC has been sort of sounding the alarm in regard to what's happening with preschool special ed programs. For the last few years, we've been seeing trends in terms of the fact that our programs are losing money, programs are closing, and programs are having significant challenges in terms of recruitment and retention. So to just give you some idea in terms of closure, um, we did a Freedom of Information, a FOIL request to the State Education Department to find out how many preschool special ed programs have closed in roughly the last three and a half years statewide, 61 of them have closed statewide, 31 of them in New York City. So almost half of all the programs that have closed have closed in New York City. So we believe that there is now a shortage of preschool special ed seats. We've been making that argument to everybody who would listen to us, elected officials, government, um, with a very significant concern that children are probably sitting at home right now who have IEPs, who have a federal legal mandate to those services, but the system is not available. That's not, there's not enough seats at this point for the kids. Well, that's completely unacceptable. Now, you mentioned um, retention of teachers, recruitment and retention. Why is it so challenging? Well, basically what happened with preschool special ed funding is, is for about six years, there was a period where there were no tuition increases at all. So during that time, public school teachers got salary increases. Our, mm -hmm. our teachers could not get them. The schools couldn't give it to them. And so the salary disparity, which was once manageable, has grown to about $30,000. So if you have a teacher in one of our preschool special ed programs and the Department of Education calls them tomorrow, they can offer them $30,000 more. They can offer them a benefits package that's 100 times better than anything our schools can offer. Um, and they work 10 months. Our teachers work 12 months. So teachers leave our schools crying. They don't want to leave, but they have to make a decision for their family. It makes a lot more sense for them. 
And when the Department of Education calls, almost, you know, 100% right. of the teachers leave. Um, but the problem is, you know, what's left in terms of the teaching staff in our schools are they're brand new, they're very inexperienced, or in some cases they're uncertified. And so you have teachers teaching children with the highest levels of need in the state of New York who are inexperienced, brand new. And the other challenge that also plays into this is that the administration, people who went into, you know, they wanted to be heads of schools, they wanted to be supervisors of teachers, they're teaching classrooms because there's no teachers to teach mm -hmm. those classrooms. Um, and, you know, we have done a lot of survey data in regard to what's happening um, in terms of teacher turnover, in terms of vacancy rates, and really some alarming numbers are starting to, starting to show up. Tell us a little bit about the vacancy rate. Sure. So, um, so we, we've been doing um, vacancy rate assessments with our survey. So we sent out a survey to our members. Like I said, we have about 45 preschool special ed programs. Most of our surveys, we get a pretty good you know, response, at least 30 or 35 you know, programs response. So we feel like we have a pretty good cross-section of our programs. Um, and what we found is that the vacancy rates have climbed significantly. Um, so about two years ago, the vacancy rates for our preschool programs, our teachers, were 17%. So that means that 17% of the programs had pretty much vacancies for a good portion of the time. We just did a survey um, as of June, and we found out that that rate climbed to 28%, 65% increase. So what we're, we're finding now is that the schools can no longer recruit teachers. And so they're basically having these periods of time where you have vacant teacher positions for months and months and months. Um, and it's becoming much more critical because nobody is responding to their ads. You know, if you, if you pick up any kind of education magazine or newspaper, you'll see ads for all these preschool special ed programs right. who are looking for teachers because they all are. Right. Um, and no one can find any teachers. So they're operating with this very sense of insecurity that like right. at any time someone can call one of our teachers and just say, oh, we have a job now and they're gone. And the problem with that is New York City Department of Ed has no respect for these programs. Even though they're publicly funded, the kids are their kids, they call up a teacher and they leave the next day. They give them no time to transition, no time to say goodbye to these kids, and they're gone. And what the teachers are told is, there's a job at PS7. Right. If you want that job, you right. got to report tomorrow at 8.30. If you don't, we'll get it to the next person because there's always someone waiting. Oh, it's um, so tough. It, it, it's really disheartening, you know, I mean, if, if you have just a typical four-year-old and the teacher leaves, it's a traumatic event. Yes. Think about it for a child who has autism spectrum disorder who doesn't understand transition and the teacher right. is there one day and gone the next. Oh, it's heartbreaking. And it is. And, and the turnover rates are even, you know, even, um, you know, concerning too. But just to give you an idea for the teacher assistants who are really critical, they're certified people, they have to pass a test. They have to be certified by the state of New York to be a certified, te certified teacher assistant in these classrooms. Those rates are climbing even higher. Um, our, our teacher assistants, we had a vacancy rate two years ago of about 18%. It's now 32% in our preschools. It's gone up 78%. One third of all One positions. Third. Exactly. So we have some programs that could have like 40 vacant positions right now. And the concern about the vacancy rate is once it climbs to a certain point, right. it goes beyond the breaking point, and right. you have to close a classroom. You can't operate a classroom unless you have sufficient numbers of staff in that room. Yeah. And the schools are mandated by federal law to implement that IEP. That IEP requires a teacher and requires a certain number of teacher assistants. 
So those programs are really struggling right now as to how long they continue to how long they can continue to operate classrooms. And these classrooms have kids in them. I mean, we're not talking about right. closing a classroom that's vacant. We're talking about maybe having to close a classroom that's got preschool kids in it who have special needs who need these services. Right. So I think most people will be really shocked to hear this. I mean, over the last few years, we've heard a lot about the expansion of pre-K. Most New Yorkers are very excited about it. I mean, it's a desirable thing to have in a city. At the same time, this is um, the staffing problem with the preschools is an unintended consequence. Yeah, I mean, I think I, it, in in June of this year, I spoke to um, the New York City Council Education Committee had a joint hearing regarding um, parity, salary parity for the early childhood community-based organizations, the teachers there. They never included our teachers. So I testified at that hearing and I basically told them that if they were to move to salary parity for early childhood teachers in this city, our schools would completely close. There would be no services for preschool children with disabilities because there would be no teachers. They'd all leave. Um, because the salary, the salary disparity within the CBOs is similar but not as bad. Um, and Again, those are teachers who are working in a regular education setting. The other sad part about the pre-K expansion was many, many teachers who had gone to school, who had committed to work with preschool children who had a developmental disability, saw the money, and they had no choice. And they went over, and now they're working with typical regular education kids. So the expertise, all that school that they went to, is now gone because they had a better opportunity. Um, you know, no one's going to say pre-K for all wasn't a great thing and the expansion, all the other stuff. Right. But the New York City Department of Education never asked itself where it was going to get all those teachers. Right. And as a consequence, <laughs> they pulled them from our schools. Most of the experienced teachers are all gone. And most of the teachers who are left are either teachers who have, you know, committed for years to these programs and they're just not going to leave. Or you have brand new teachers who have just out of school who really need a lot of support and mentoring, and the schools themselves don't have the staff to do it because those administrators are in classrooms. Wow. What should the state and city be doing about this? I think, I think the city, I think first of all, I think the state and the city have to recognize that it's a crisis. Um, I think that's one of the problems is that for the longest time, they just kind of assumed that, you know, if a program closed, someone else was going to step up and, and take it. And I'll give you an example how that is no longer the case. For the last, the last six months, roughly, in, in April and then again in August, the New York State Education Department produced what they call a regional need request for New York City for preschool special ed seats. In April, that need was for 700-plus seats. They just did another needs request. And the needs request basically goes out to all the preschool special ed providers, and it says, we, have, we need all these special ed seats how many can you serve? You know, can you expand? Can you add more classrooms? Can you serve these kids? In April, that same number is now the exact same number that was released again on August 3rd. On August 3rd, State Ed put out another regional need request for close to 740 preschool special ed seats in New York City. What does that mean? That basically means that New York City Department of Education has determined that there is a need for a lot more preschool special ed seats than they have available to them that also says to me that they themselves have no ability to open classrooms because they wouldn't be saying they have a regional need if the New York City Department of Ed could serve these kids. So they're basically saying to the private special ed community, we need you to open more classrooms. And the private special ed community has basically, as part of IEC, that's who I work with, they're telling me they can't do it. 
because they don't have certified teachers, which is a requirement for expansion. You have to prove that you have a certified teacher. And number two, it's the money. The funding is so poor, it's no longer covering the cost of educating kids with the highest levels of need. And that's what we find. Most of the IEC programs are mission-driven programs. Right. They have committed forever to working with children with the highest levels of need in the state. Those programs, based on financial data that we have from the state, are losing the most money. IEC represents pretty much the top 10 losers in the entire state for preschool <laughs> special ed programs. They're losing millions of dollars, and they cannot do it much longer. So we're trying to say to the state, you have to figure out what you're going to do here. Either you're going to have to give these schools more money and commit your you know, funding, your resources to, in, to ensure that these schools exist, or are you telling us that basically public school is going to take this over? And we honestly do not believe that they're in any position to do this at all. Um, and like I said, the other challenge, because programs are losing so much money, a lot of our schools are on the verge of closing. And we've been saying that to the state and the city. We've been saying to them, and just to give you an example, if you look and you say District 75 is serving probably close to maybe 350 preschool specialized kids in small classes, mm -hmm. that's not even one of our large preschool special ed provider programs. Wow. We have programs that serve 700, 800 kids. If one of those programs was to close, and this mm. is what we've said to oh, state ed yes. and the city, it right. would become an instant crisis, front page daily news reports. Yes, it would. No question. Um, and they're not, you know, they're not, I don't believe, taking it seriously enough. And we've been trying to say to them that if one of these programs close, they're all going to close. Because once one of the boards of directors of one of these preschool special ed programs that are mission-driven right. say, oh, well, they were going to close. Why are we staying open? We're losing as much money. And we've been trying to say to them that you have to realize how fragile this system is right now. Um, and we've been advocating as much as we can. We've been having a lot of meetings, rallies. We have um, reached out to the Commissioner of Education for the State of New York, Commissioner Ilya. We have reached out to the Board of Regents. We have reached out to um, Chancellor Carranza advising them, sending letters to them saying, this is where this is headed here. You better figure out what to do about it. Um, and the testimony before the city council was pretty much the same thing, saying to them, we're putting you all on notice. This is a crisis. We've been telling you this impending crisis was coming and you did nothing to stop it. Now we've reached the crisis point and it will become even more of a crisis if one of these programs closes. So that's what we're really concerned about at this point. Yeah. It sounds absolutely amazing. Now, I know that the Department of Education has to release an annual um, report about special education service provision for students 5 to 21. Yes. Is there something similar for the preschool children? No. Um, that special education report that was developed by the city council excluded, it specifically excluded 4410 preschool special ed kids. 4410 is the, is the section under education law that includes services for children 3 to 5 who need preschool special ed. So they excluded them from that law. We have been advocating to the city council um, to include preschool special ed kids. It's unacceptable, really, honestly, when the mayor of the city of New York stands up and says every preschool child, age four and up, okay. will be guaranteed a preschool, a preschool yeah. seat in UPK. A preschool seat. And I can tell you that there's no guarantee for a child who has an IEP in this city at four years old that they have a preschool seat. Ugh. And that's why we want the numbers. We need to know how many <laughs> exactly. kids need these services. We have, uh, I have attempted through Freedom of Information to basically request this information from the New York City Department of Education. I waited an entire year and they came back and they told me 
they don't have cumulative data. They wouldn't provide it to me. The fact that they can say they don't have cumulative data is amazing. That in itself is incredible. Why not? Well, what they responded was basically that they don't keep it cumulatively. So in order for them to re reply to the FOIL, which is the Freedom of Information, they would have had to compile it. And because they said it would cost money to do that, the Freedom of Information law doesn't require they do that. So my new strategy, because what they answered was, <laughs> we keep it district-based. Right. So it's not, you know, so our new strategy is we're going to send out FOILs to school districts to request specific data from specific school districts. And I have the FOIL information that they told me is kept at the school district. So I don't believe now they can push this off. But the simple solution would be to get the city council to include preschool special ed kids in the special ed report. Absolutely. They have to Absolutely. include Absolutely. I mean, this is a data-driven world. Everybody knows how important it is to exclude a Absolutely. Them. It's like saying their needs are less important than the 5 to 21, and that isn't the case. Yes. And the, and the troubling part is, if you ask the New York State Education Department, how many children right now in New York City need preschool special ed programs that don't have them, that have a federal mandate for it, they can't give you a number, and New York City will not provide it. So I don't know how you get it. But we need that number to be able to effectively advocate to take action. Like um, Advocates for Children, we've spoken to them about you know, looking at basically how many children don't have service and what mm -hmm. kind of legal action can you take to look at that. And again, they need those numbers. They need to be able to show that children are not being served. And right now, New York City is not producing those numbers. And that's a challenge. Whew. Do you have an idea um, where the shortages are most severe? Um, we know that based on, you know, if you look at um, the um, regional need request that New York City put out, I could just give you some idea. The largest number of preschool special ed seats that are needed are in Queens, 266 seats. In Queens. Yeah. So really, that amounts to a small preschool special ed program. I, I mean, that's not... See, see, the problem is when you get to numbers like 700, right. <laughs> you're not talking about, you know, one program being able to add a class of eight. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, you're talking about a large amount. And for preschool special ed providers that are losing money, if they open more classrooms, they're going to lose they're money lose faster. And they're going <laughs> to close faster. They'll lose more money. Exactly. So really, programs are being forced to make business decisions rather than mission-driven decisions. And that's what the system has done to them. They've always been a mission-driven organization. Right. But now they have to make a business decision. Can I continue to operate this class without a certified teacher or without a brand new teacher? How long can I continue to advertise and try to find somebody? And how long right. can I survive when I'm losing so much money providing these services? Mm -hmm. So that's where this is at. And like I said, we've been trying to educate everybody we can. We've been trying to also educate parents as much as we can to help them understand that, especially parents who have children in preschool programs, the program that their child was in, it doesn't look anything like it did five years ago. Five years ago, there were social work staff there. There's no social work staff. Very few, if any. Five years ago, children could go on field trips because programs had extra money to be able to do these things. Five years ago, programs had music teachers and art teachers and other kinds of things that made the programs really special. Right. Those programs are bare bones now because they just don't yeah. have the money to pay for all the extra stuff that they used to provide. They used to make the program super beneficial to kids. You know, and our message to, to everybody that will listen to us basically is this is a very short-sighted place to be. Research clearly shows that the most, the most effective use of, of education dollars and intervention is at the earliest age. 
There's no question, no one could question that. And yet New York State is failing children from zero to five by failing to provide sufficient support. And so what happens is they show up at the school door at, at five years old with delays that were greater than they should be because they were never remediated when they were younger. And the systems are just not available to meet these kids' needs. And if you talk to preschool special ed providers, they'll tell you they're seeing children with higher levels of need because early intervention is no longer providing the levels of service to kids that really they should be providing. Well, this brings us to the advocacy question because mm -hmm. with all this going on, I know IAC has been very, very active. Tell us a little bit about it. Sure. So, um, so we've been we've been advocating. Um, you know, every year we meet with the elected officials. We meet with a lot of people in Albany. Um, we meet with the city, and we've been arguing. You know, for increases for parity. Um, you know, we feel that our children in our schools should be getting the same amounts of funding as programs in public schools. And just to give you an example, in the governor's um, budget report, the governor's executive budget report last year, he indicated that from the period of 2012 to now, 2018, school districts around the state through Foundation Aid have gotten a 35% increase. He was, you know, it was a really big thing. Oh, yeah, we've supported education. For preschool special ed programs in that exact same time frame, they've gotten a 6% increase. These are public kids, publicly funded kids, and yet they're being treated significantly different. And so we've been telling parents, you need to start to think about the fact, and parents are saying to us, why are they discriminating against our kids? Why are our kids treated any differently? And the sad part is, it's not that the parents made a choice to put their children in these programs. It's right. the public school, New York City Department of Ed, that has determined they don't have a seat available, and, that and they're putting they them in have. a program that's getting substantially less money, and as a result, can't hire certified teachers anymore. Less money in students with greater needs. Exactly. Autism, blindness. Yep. So what we're doing is, you know, we're trying to reach out to a lot of parents, trying to help educate them about this, trying to let everybody we know. We have made some inroads. Um, we had um, a report on um, PIX11. Arnold Diaz interviewed me um, and some parents and um, Ed Matthews, who was the um, executive director from ADAPT Community Network, about the preschool special ed crisis. We got some follow-up from it. Um, it benefited the parents in the story because the parents got special ed seats. So we were happy about that. Um, and we've got some media coverage. Um, you know, we had um, an article um, in um, Chalkbeat had written some, some general stuff. Um, New York um, nonprofit press, New York media um, took an op-ed piece from our executive director. So we've gotten some, some coverage. The Daily News um, did a story about a family. We helped um, the Daily News reporter identify the parent in the mm -hmm. story. So we've been, we've, been act we've been actively involved in the background of all of these um, all of these stories. I was contacted by um, a Wall Street Journal reporter. I talked to her. There might be a story there. Um, so we're trying to basically put out as much um, media coverage as we can to help educate as Awareness. many people. Because I do think, like you said, very few people in New York understand this, and I think it would be a scandal, and parents, people around the city would be furious to know that children three and four years old are not getting the services they really need. Because in the end, it's going to cost the state way more money. You know, the more money you put in children from age 0 to 21, the less you have to spend when they're adults and their quality of life is limited because they don't and they never got the support they needed. It costs right. way more money right. on the other side of this. Right, you would not want that. Now, yep. I know exactly. you have a campaign and I love the name, Our Kids Are Your Kids. Yes, Tell the, us the about campaign that. the campaign was, the, the Our Kids Are Your Kids was actually coined by another parent, um, Mary Krasner, um, who has a child with a, with a disability. and. 
she basically came up with the idea saying, you know, the, that the elected officials around the state need to understand that the kids who were in our schools are their kids. They're children of their constituents, and they have a responsibility because these are publicly placed kids. They're publicly funded kids, and that they should treat them the same way that the public school children are treated. You know, it's not the case when you look at a 35% increase in foundation aid versus a 6% tuition increase for preschool special ed. And that only came about because IAC has been fighting with the state for a number of years. You know, we, we stopped the zero growth, but all we've been able to get is 2%. Even though the state education department has recommended increases of 4 and 5%. Right. Wow. Okay, I want to turn our attention to parents now because parents are the important component here going forward. What can parents do? So I think, I think there's a number of things. I, I think one of the things we're reaching out to is we're talking to a lot of parents who had children who benefited from preschool special ed mm -hmm. to remember how important it was and to start to also join the advocacy chorus in terms of basically saying to elected officials, look, these programs were vital. They made a difference in my child's life. We have a lot of children um, and parents who have come back to us whose children are in college, who benefited, that you know they went through preschool special ed and they, it changed their life. They did really well. And it shows that it is an effective intervention strategy for a lot of kids. So we're reaching out to them. We're also reaching out to um, as many um, parent groups as we can. We're speaking at the, the DD Council, Development Disability Councils, trying to get as much parent support as we can um, to basically you know, start to send a message to elected officials that this is not acceptable. Um, we had a really big rally in June. Um, we had about 400 parents and preschool special ed providers. We had teachers, we had administrators there. We invited elected officials, um, and it really was sort of um, a, a call out to everybody to say, like, you know, start to see this as the crisis that it is. Remember that these kids are your kids, that the parents who are your constituents who vote in your school districts are the children who are in these programs. Um, and we think that, you know, that's starting, I think, to resonate a little bit among the elected officials. Um, we have a lot more um, advocacy strategies we're moving forward on. Um, and we're going to be trying to get as many parents as we can to meet with elected officials because they're the constituents. When you meet with an elected right. official, the first person they want to talk to is, is the their parent. constituent right. and the parent in the room. And the parents are the best advocates, you know, wow. um, and those are the ones that we want to be front and center to talk about the needs of their kids. So you mentioned the Developmental Disability Council a moment ago and yes. that those um, exist in each borough. They have monthly meetings. They have children's committees, correct? Yes, absolutely. So is this a way for parents to get involved that may not necessarily be able to go to Albany to advocate? Yes, absolutely. I mean, we encourage parents to go visit their elected officials in their community. It's absolutely the same difference. It doesn't matter. Um, they're there a lot of the time. Um, and through the councils, um, they have legislative committees. They have children's committees. They have a legislative breakfast. Um, that's an opportunity for parents to go hear about these issues, talk to the elected officials who are in their neighborhood, in their community. Um, so I, I think that um, as vocal as parents can be, you know, parents were the ones who started the entire system. And parents have to realize that the system is vulnerable when it isn't a priority. And that's what I see this. It's not a priority anymore. Um, and it's shocking when you think about the fact that preschool special ed kids are not a priority. But there's no indication that they are when you look at a 6% tuition increase exactly. in, you know, six years, and, eight you know, years. One of the questions I had asked you when we spoke earlier was, 
our parents too complacent? And you said, no, they had every reason to expect that these services would be available when the time came. Yes, and, and children, I mean, when you think about it, there's a federal law that entitles <laughs> these kids. So parents, in terms of being complacent, I think what happens is parents, and a lot of parents who have limited English, parents who are not native speakers, parents who come from communities that don't have a lot of resources, they take for granted that whatever they get is a really great thing. What they forget is that their children's rights are being violated under federal law because the Department of Education is only giving them part of what they need. Right. And so sometimes parents, because they're overwhelmed, they kind of accept. And part of what I think our strategy is, is to get them angry. We want to get parents angry, to say to an elected official, this is not okay. My child has rights. My child should be getting the same services as if they went to a public school. And I'm holding you accountable. So that's kind of where we're trying to get this. Um, and we're trying to build more and more of that you know, with parents. So I think the advocacy is great, but as a practical matter, if you had a child, an early intervention that was going to be transitioning into preschool, what advice would you give that parent to make sure they would have a smooth transition? Well, I think, I think for that parent, they have to make sure that the service coordinators are doing their job. So that means that they have to make the referrals in a timely fashion to the Committee on Preschool Special Ed. Mm -hmm. Because for many parents, they like their child to stay in EI, in early intervention but they have to establish eligibility under preschool special ed mm -hmm. before the child's third birthday, otherwise they're out. The other thing I would say to parents of children in early intervention is, you have to remember that preschool special ed is a school system, it's an education program. Schools start in September, right. so it's very important to think about transitioning your child into a preschool seat for September. If you wait until January, even though you're entitled to stay, right. it's very unlikely that your child is gonna find a seat until maybe, if you're lucky, July, possibly September of the following year. And we know that there's many children last year who sat at home for six months until there was a preschool seat available to them. So I would strongly urge parents to really think about that. And if there is a preschool seat available, take it. Because it's not a guarantee. And it definitely is not a guarantee if you're looking after September. If you're looking in January and February, those seats are all full. Right. Now, that's really good advice, um, but just to piggyback on that, I've heard some parents say that, okay, I was lucky they gave me an offer, but when I went to it, it was totally inappropriate for my child. I've seen some parents go further out, even into other boroughs, looking for programs. Is that appropriate if the parent wants to do that? Yes. The parent has a right to make a judgment about whether or not the placement is appropriate. The, the, the education regulations entitled the New York City Department of Ed to recommend the program. But the parent has to first of all consent to it, and they also are entitled under that regulation to give input and feedback in regard to the placement. Mm -hmm. So if they visit the placement and they don't think it's appropriate, they absolutely have a right to ask for another one. The problem right now is, because of the limited availability, right. it becomes a significant challenge. The Daily News article that, that, that um, talked about a parent, the parent was having transportation problems, right. which is a huge issue right now. The parent decided, to take the child out of the program simply because the problem was the child was on the bus too long. And the child sat home for months and months else. and months because there was nothing available. So that's a dilemma that families are in and parents are in, is if I don't really like it, what am I supposed to do? The other thing we know that's happening is that the preschool administrators are making recommendations based on what's available, not based on what children need. So 
we have we have a class of you know 12 available but we don't have an eight because eights are all full right. exactly. so we'll put your child in that class and that's what we know we know that all the classes of children with the highest levels of need the classes of children who need six six kids in a room those are all full and i know that because we had a meeting three days ago with our special ed preschool providers and almost everybody in the room is completely full there's hardly any seats it's right now. It's really tough. Now, before we say goodbye, I would like to give parents a little hope because I know I'd be frightened, I'd be quaking if I was the parent of a child NEI. What's your best advice for them? I, I think they have to make sure that they check in with the early intervention service coordinator, make sure that they're making the referral so that the children are referred at the earliest point so that they have an availability of a possibility. So if they're determined eligible but they have a period of, say, a month or two months or three months, they can search during that time for a preschool special ed seat. I think they should contact the early childhood direction centers in each of the boroughs. Right. I think they should touch base with them, find out what's available, what the time frame looks like. I think parents have to be very strong advocates and not take for granted that there's going to be a preschool special ed seat just because their child had early intervention. Right. And I think if they take that perspective and they really are on top of it, more than likely they're going to get a seat. That it's not, yes, that it's not automatic. And I'm glad you mentioned the Early Childhood Direction Centers. I was planning to do that because there's one in every borough. And the beautiful thing about them is, is that because their focus is on the youngest children, they actually know the individual programs. That's a huge advantage. Yes. Um, they, they, know, also, they know what's available. You know, they know yeah. the available seats. They, they know, know which the programs. Yeah. Exactly. And they, they also know what types of kids the programs really work well with. And that's why I think they're really good resources for families, for parents. Right, and we agree. Um, parents can also call Include NYC. Um, I want to thank you, Chris, very much for joining us today. Even though this is a frightening topic, people need to know. We can't take action unless we know. So thank you for Absolutely. sharing that with us. You're welcome. Thank you.